want to learn how to interpret and teach the entire Bible in a way that is Christ-centered and clear? Learn with us here on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Okay, so let's use that. He is complex. Let's let's talk about is he good? Is he bad? Um, I know John and I have um, a friend who's you know close, really close with our brothers, who's really really sharp. Who at one point wondered if we'll see Samson uh, in new creation. Uh, I think we have a, a good answer on the Bible, you know, from the Bible to answer that question. But I, let's jump in there. Is he good or is he bad? Uh, Peyton, maybe let's start with you, given that sure. John and and Jeff have already thrown barbs back and forth at each other. Yeah. So I, so I, I can't get over. So from just judges, I can't get over chapter 13 set apart from birth. Um, and then even in chapter 14 with this whole, Hey, go get her. She's right in my eyes. But then verse four being said, Hey, this is something that's from the Lord. And then at the end of chapter 16, how, he cries out for mercy and cries out for the spirit once again. And the Lord grants his prayer and uses his death to bring about at least a partial salvation of Israel from the Philistines to at least say there are redeeming qualities to Samson. Then when he fast forward the new Testament and he's included in this role of men and women who have faith in the Lord, not perfection, not perfect moral purity, but faith in the Lord. Um, I have a hard time saying Samson's all bad. So I know a lot of times people will say, you know, um, you know, these are, these are broken, discussing people that God uses for a specific purpose. Okay. There's some sense in that, but they are saviors, right? Like they, these judges are saviors. And so I, I, I think John said a mediating position I'm the same way. I, I can't say he's good because there seems to be some pretty clear uh, immorality and breaking of the Nazarite vow. But because of textual clues in Judges and especially what we see in Hebrews 11, I don't think we can say Samson's like completely evil, bad, awful, and just happened to get the hookup and get to save Israel. All right. Who wants to go next? Oh, okay, I'll go for it. I've been giving the heads up. Well, this is kind of probably going to be a little bit boring because we're all we might actually agree more with one another than we uh, might have thought. But he's clearly a man of faith, and Hebrews eleven tells us that, and he's clearly a deliverer, uh, raised up by God who will begin the deliverance. That key verse in chapter thirteen, uh, verse five, and the fact that the Spirit rushes upon him. Uh, and so even in some of the, the killings of the Philistines, that's all part of his delivering work. So he's not all bad. God is working through him to deliver, to rescue at various points in the narrative. So in that sense, he's a man of faith. He trusts God and, and seen in the biggest way at the end of his life. But as been said, he's deeply flawed at the same time. And I think as well as the Nazarite vows, being highlighted and broken. I think one of the main ways I go he's flawed is because how, I think, and it has even been mentioned, how Samson is a, a picture of Israel. 
because Israel do evil in their own eyes and not doing evil in their own eyes. And, and, and the links with the eyes throughout this text is very interesting just to show Samson is like Israel who in chapter 14 it's the emphasis he sees his daughter of the Philistines he saw her he saw her he wanted her as a wife so that to me that's a flaw the same as been mentioned the prostitute could have just mentioned he went under but the fact that he saw a prostitute the seeing he is doing evil in his own eyes and the whole narrative of the book is Israel is doing what is evil in their own eyes. So he is like the Israelites. In fact, I think in chapter 15, he's like the Philistines as well in retaliating. So he's not a perfect hero. He's flawed like Israel, lights like the Philistines, and that's picked up at various points in the text as well. John. I th- I, yeah, so Jeff, what, what do you think? What do you make of 14.4? How do you interpret 14.4? Oh, well, I, I interpreted it as it says. This was God's, they don't know it was coming from the Lord. And so he is going to be used as an instrument to defeat the Philistines. Uh, and yet God is working through the actions of sinful people. Uh, like he does, well, well, as we see, we point to Jesus, but yeah. Uh, Peyton, do you take 14.4 to be talking about the Lord being the one who's seeking the opportunity or Satan? I mean, Satan, Samson. I was slip. Wait, say that again. Wait, say that again. 14.4, do yeah. you take he, the pronoun he, as a reference to the Lord seeking the opportunity against the Philistines or, or Samson being the one seeking the opportunity against the Philistines? Samson. So you take yeah. So you take it. So you, you guys disagree on that. You take it as Sam, Samson is is being strategic here in taking a Philistine wife. So I I'm at least open to that. I mean I yeah. I again I don't, I'm not going to drive a stake super hard in the ground. I'm just at least open to that. And as you alluded to earlier, the small minority of commentators and theologians that argue for a positive view of the judges, especially Samson, that's a place that they go to. So I'm at least open to yeah. it. They go to, yeah. so, so they'll say that that's Samson, and then they'll say that the prostitute at the beginning of chapter 16 is yeah. Samson basically doing like the Israelite spies did on with Jericho and Rahab. That's right. That's that they're right. Going what? To, he's going to stay at the house to get as reconnaissance or whatever, right. but he's not going there to pay for the, all the services, so to speak. What, what do you say about the pronoun in verse 4? Yeah, I, I tend towards Jeff's interpretation because of Lord is the most, is the most, is the closest um, yeah, sure. precedent or whatever, antecedent, I, I can't remember ninth grade English too much. But, um, but because mainly because of the context of this whole idea of yeah, doing what is right in his own eyes. Yeah, sure. And so I so I see it as the Lord is using this sinful, broken vessel d- despite his best efforts to not be used of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so that so that that is how I interpret it. But I, but I am with you. I am open to the other interpretation uh, because. Because you get you get guys, and, and again, his, 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 like Dan Block, who who think everything that that Samson does is wrong and selfish. When he prays, it's selfish. 
everything everything that he does is completely wrong. And I just I just can't get there right based on Judges itself and Judges 2 the way it interprets the book and Hebrews 11 and the way it looks back at, at Samson's life. I can't I can't get there. And so I, 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 I yes, we do have agreement um that Samson like all of us is a sinner you know saved by grace and he he lives a complex life and even the good things he does may may be tinged or tainted with some selfishness or whatever, but the Lord in his grace and mercy still uses him. Right. Uh, and so that's good news for us. You know, one, one thing, John, well, first of all, I think going back to verse four, looking at the pronoun, I think that it is unclear uh, and not saying the scripture is not clear at all, but saying that it, it's unclear what the pronouns referring to, at least to me. And so I think being open um, to both interpretations is helpful. I also think that it's helpful to remember the context. Like a lot of people talk about Samson as if he's, you know, one of the kings sitting in his ivory palace somewhere, um, and they forget that this is wartime. I mean, this this guy's a warrior, um, and for two decades, like his life is full of war and battles. And so, mm-hmm. even if you you know read history, world history, American history. You know, you see that even our greatest heroes that we look to were deeply complex figures because in wartime, there's hard decisions to be made. And so I think sometimes we kind of take this and isolate it from the overall wartime context, and we forget that this is this was a much more complex time than we realize. And maybe some of the answers are found in, hey, this is a warrior. This isn't, we can't, we can't say, you know, is he you know, is he good or bad as if it's that easy, black or white? Yeah, yeah, this is not VeggieTales. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, they didn't capitalize he in the translation, so it obviously can't be referring to God. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, you unpack that, no, Nate? No, I'll let that, I'm going to let that stand on its own. Um, John, the, the, those that would see almost everything as, as um, him being almost all good or all good, so they would they would claim he doesn't. Um, so with with the prostitute, he doesn't actually sleep with her. With the touching of a dead, dead thing, that's just because he's seeking to find yeah, this foothold. Basically, they have yeah, they have explanations for all that. The only I, I think the only thing that they would say that he's flawed in is that he that he um, lets Delilah wear him down. Mm-hmm. I mean, nagging nagging gets it, it. It ends up being his undoing. That he gives in. We'll be doing the, the Proverbs in, in the fall. And uh, Proverbs, you know, talks about living on the roof or living in the desert rather than yeah. a contentious yeah. wife. If, but Samson hadn't learned that lesson yet. If you, if you want to look at like a modern commentator that writes on this positive interpretation, you can look at Miles Van Pelt. Van Pelt. He, yeah, he teaches at RTS in Jackson. Um, he's written on this and taught on this and... And again, like he's very persuasive, uh, which at least for me has helped me open up my eyes to some textual issues like we've been pointing back in chapter 14, verse 4, to at least open it up to a possibility that we have just kind of read the narrative as if Samson's awful. And actually, when you read it with a different lens, it begins to at least open you up to possibilities 
that there's there's more complexity than what we originally thought. Good. All right. Well, let's let's then transition. If there's no other textual uh, things that we want to dive into, maybe we'll get to this some along the way with the Christ-centered interpretation. But let's let's go then to Christ-centered interpretation. How does this narrative about Samson, his life, um, obviously what the what is recorded in Scripture, how does it point us forward to to Jesus? And John, maybe we'll we'll start with you, and then and then Jeff and uh, Peyton can jump in. Well, I would say too. So I would start with this: the story is mainly trying to do that because this is not it's not a moral tale they're not it's not upholding samson as this person that you're to emulate it's showing how god res- is re- rescuing his people um and so it's not w- w- what's happening in, in judges which is again this is how it points to christ is that you go from basically generals who are leading armies and they're, they're doing it in, you know, in, in complex and um, varied ways. And it's, you know, Gideon's whittling the army down and, and all these different things, but you're, you're going to go from these unlikely saviors and these unlikely ways to like one guy. There's, there's no army here. The Israelites are not, there's, it's one man anointed by the spirit that God is using to save his people. And, um, and he's showing, I can say, I does, I just takes one. I can save uh, through this this one this one man. And so you have this this um, you know miraculous birth foretold by an angel of a savior, a man who's anointed by the Spirit, who's betrayed by his own people, handed over to the Gentiles, betrayed for silver by the per- person close to him, arrested, blinded, mocked, and then in his weakness and suffering, he crushes the heads of his enemies. And God gives him the greatest victory in his in his death, and uh, and so this this points to Jesus. Like Samson is not, as I I've written about this before, Samson's not a jihadist suicide bomber. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 does this willingly, um, and, and Jesus says, "Nobody takes my life. I'm I'm laying it down." Uh, Jesus was blindfolded; he wasn't blinded. But all the same things that happened to Samson happened to him. He's arrested, handed over, blindfolded, mocked. And then in his weakness and suffering, he crushes his enemy's head and and gains his greatest victory. And so, so yeah, I mean, Samson points to Jesus um, because it shows how God raises up a spirit-anointed deliverer. And now Samson's flawed, and Samson, um, you know, dies for his own sins. Jesus dies for our sins, but he definitely points. There's not a one-to-one correlation. There's a type that escalates and is fulfilled in Christ who has all of the good aspects of Samson and none of the bad. Jeff Payton, add. Um, it's everywhere in the text uh, pointing to Jesus. And this is where, you know, you can do this in one sermon and show how, it, but you could do four sermons in each chapter because there are links to Jesus in every chapter from chapter 13 has been mentioned. I mean, this is as close to the nativity story uh, that you can get marrying the the angels, the the predictions of miracle mm-hmm. birth, uh, in mm-hmm. chapter thirteen. Even the angel of the Lord again appearing. There's ways you can tie it to Christ. To chapter fourteen, uh, you've got, uh, I think then the mystery of God's salvation working through this God's spirit filled man to bring deliverance. Uh, and and working mm-hmm. behind, I think, even the sinful actions of humans, uh, in my mind, and how that ultimately 
points to the cross in chapter 14. We see Jesus in chapter 15, the uh, handed over by his own people. Uh, and Samson willingly is bound and tied up. And it's all pointing again to Jesus, our deliverer, till the final chapter 16, uh, which is just remarkable how through his death he conquered more than even during his life, as it says. His arms are, just to go and maybe some different things and that John said, his arms outstretched as he's delivering, uh, tortured, publicly displayed, yeah, everything. Humiliated. The, the, the humiliated, the whole... I mean, it's <laughs> you. It's hard to hard. It'd be very hard for somebody who doesn't want to preach Christ from the Old Testament to to not from the narrative of Samson because it's everywhere and it's so obvious. It's 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 great. Mm. Amen, Peyton. Yeah. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, I mean these these guys, Jeff and John, are saying exactly right. I mean, the whole narrative from chapter thirteen through sixteen is a precursor, a foreshadowing of what we're going to see in Jesus. I mean, through, yeah, the announcement of a child to be born, being set apart, the coming of the Spirit we see in the baptism of Jesus, um, all of that. I think the only couple things I would add that you can do, like because I get it, when you're preaching through a book, you know, sometimes, especially when you're getting to the end, you, you've you've kind of done sometimes the same thing, and so you're wanting some variety. So obviously you can preach Christ from contrast here. I mean, you can you can set up the ways in which um, Samson is somewhat of an anti-savior. He himself needs a savior, right? Like you can you can set that up. I think another thing though that you can do, depending on what setting you're in and depending on the appetite of your people, is you can link this with a long line from Genesis three with the promise of a of a seed to be born of a woman and link it all the way through, whether it be the spirit rushing on David and him defeating the Philistine giant. I mean, there are several places in scripture that we see the same type themes. And I think sometimes, not every week, um, because you don't want to preach, you know, every story and every sermon, uh, but occasionally, if you're able to do some of these kind of like big links and connections to trace the story on the whole Bible up to the point of Jesus, um, that's helpful. And I think Samson allows you to do that, especially if you preach at more than one sermon, which I did not. But if you do, you can spend one sermon talking about this idea of the spirit coming upon a savior in the scripture, God through the spirit and power deliverer, saving, rescuing his people, and then linking it all the way to Jesus. And it helps people really get the unity of the Bible. You know, the greatest WWF fight ever would have been Samson in a hand-to-hand combat with Goliath. Who do you think would have won? Samson. Of course. Samson. I mean, Goliath was taken down pretty easily. Yeah. But that that does... that. So here's a couple of things we're just talking about uh, biblical theological interpretation. Samson is set up as a precursor to David. Yeah. David is the one who's going to finally save Israel from the Philistines. How does he do it? He kills a lion... Uh, and then he spends time among the Philistines, and then he, you know, like like he's he's being set up as this like precursor to David. Samson's also, as as uh, Jeff mentioned, represents the nation. He represents the nation in terms of his sin, but he also represents the nation in terms of the, just the the totality of his life, set apart as special from others, uh, given sustained by water out of a rock, 
Um, you know, he he's uh, the one who, because of his sin, goes in, he plays the harlot, he goes into exile. Uh, but when he cries, like Israel, when he cries out, God hears him and God delivers him. And Jesus is the true Israel who, who relives that, that life for us to bring ultimate salvation. And so there, there's a lot of textual links between Samson and, and uh, the rest of the Bible. I, I just think it's helpful. Not every sermon, it's not like you're trying to show out, but I do think occasionally it's helpful, especially on a, I, and I'm saying Samson's easy, but these links are pretty easy to see. Um, I think it's helpful sometimes to show the connection, not just Samson to Jesus, but how Samson falls in a line of deliverers that, that God has used to do the same type of stuff. I think it helps your people, I think, A, read their Bible, but B, a lot of times they're seeing this stuff anyway when they're reading the Bible. They just don't feel the freedom to be like, oh, that's designed. And so I think sometimes you're giving your people the freedom to make these connections on their own. Um, and I think that's empowering and, and helpful. And I think to your point, the Genesis, the Genesis 3 connection, I need to go back and look. I don't have my Hebrew Bible with me, but... Um, when it says the lords of the Philistines in verse 23 of chapter 16, and then when it talks about the, 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 him pushing out the pillars, right? And then that um, the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people. I don't know if that would be the, the Hebrew word head, but there might even be a textual link to Genesis 3 yeah. and, mm-hmm. and crushing the heads of the Philistines. Heads figuratively, like the head, the heads of state. No, I don't yeah, have, I, I don't have my Hebrew Bible either. So yeah, I, I, I just know. man, I left, I left it at home by my by my bedside table. Well, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I've got mine hidden in my heart, so I can tell you we can we can work through the, work through that some. So uh, my, my children are reading mine. <laughs> oh man um hey well let's let's transition then to application how do we make this clear jeff let's start with you how did you kind of apply the life of samson pointing to jesus uh to your people well i i applied it in both ways in the flaws uh, uh as well as in uh how he points to christ our savior so you can see uh, if he is like Israel and we're like Israel, we're like us, we have flaws. Whether it is just, you know, if you, you go into chapter 14, rejecting God's commands, like the Nazarite vow that he had, rejecting, you know, disobeying parents who you should marry. You can get into, I think, specifics uh, on this, on, on the flaws to chapter 15, ways that he was like the Philistines as well and, and retaliation tit for tat, anger possibly, uh, you know, I think some of it was a just uh, working out as well. But uh, there's his flaws are flaws that we've all had, and then even chapter 16, whether it comes to uh, flaws over sexual sin, living for lust, living for love of Delilah, and letting that be your idol. Uh, there are many things that we can apply from the flaws. But then, as well, then the other side of it, uh, we see God at work. We see him at work behind the scenes, even in the mess and the chaos. So God's plan is unfolding even behind it. And, and that can be comforting for people whenever we see that in the narrative in, in chapter 14. Even even if a, we have a wayward child, like uh, Samson's parents might have been worried about, uh, there could be something else that God will bring about. Uh, later on, you've got uh, pointing to his sovereign plan. We may be in despair, but God can bring it about. And so 
a lot of things that were flawed like Samson, but we can trust God to, to bring about uh, his own purposes and see Christ in it and, and let that be the, the motivation for us. Uh, so, yeah, that's some thought from across the whole narrative. Mm-hmm. Peyton? Yeah, uh, you know, a couple things I did is because, as we talked about earlier, this is the first instance we see that the people are not crying out for help. Um, just kind of set the message of uh, up as, you know, kind of the numbing nature of sin, that the more and more that you give into sin, that the less and less it bothers you and the less and less you even see your need for help, for salvation, for rescue. And so letting that be a warning. I talked a little bit about, I think Jeff said, um, kind of going against the commands of God, which I totally agree with. But also there was a sense in what Samson was designed for this uh, fulfillment of the Nazarite vow of the salvation purpose. And it seems in the text that he goes away from that design often. And so throughout the text, I would bring up um, some ways that we often um, in our sinful rebellion go away from the design of God, kind of using the, you know, Jamie Scroggins, three circles, walking through the gospel in that way. And then um, I kind of alluded to this a minute ago, but when I preach this sermon, um, I often use this text as a way to apply to our people, hey, here's a way that you read the Bible. Here's a way that you read the Old Testament. And again, I wouldn't do this in every sermon, but I think sometimes people are really helped when you show them some of the things that we're talking about. Like, hey, do you notice the repetition of the Spirit of the Lord? Do you notice some of these things? Mm-hmm. And then trying to help them think uh, theologically, Bible theology, but also um, like the biblical theological themes in Scripture, helping them to see that. So I took time to do that as as an application, which again, I don't recommend doing it every sermon, but in this text, um, I did. John, you want to jump in? Yeah, so I, I approach this looking at the whole narrative and looking at how um, these, these little compromises along the way led to a big disaster at the end. And so I set up the sermon talking about a pastor in our, when we were growing up in our hometown who was at his like dream church. Everything seemed to be going great. And he threw away his ministry and his family because he had an affair with his wife's best friend. And when he was doing some counseling afterwards with some of the pastors in, in our hometown, um, he said that the, the, the moment that he knew that he was in trouble uh, in terms of like nothing had happened yet, but his, they had got like a motorized scooter or something and they were him and his kids and this best friend and his, her husband were over and his wife's and they're all out there hanging out and having to, you know, cook out or whatever. And the kids are riding it up and down the street. And then he says, oh, it's my turn. And so he jumps on the scooter. And then the, the wife's best friend says, well, hey, can I, can I ride too? And he's like, sure, jump on. And so she jumps on the scooter. And then he said, as soon as she put her hands on his waist, he thought, oh, oh no, I like that. And that's not good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they rode around the block and, and end up, again, starting an affair and everything. And he said, I mean, there, there was not one person like her husband. I mean, her husband was watching that. This guy's wife was watching that. There was not one person 
who watched them riding on a scooter who thought, oh, you know, they're going to have an affair. And he's going to end up destroying his ministry. It, it looked, it probably was unwise, but it looked seemingly innocuous. And um, and so I just I just talk about how, you know, scooping scooping honey out of a dead dead carcass may not, at the grand scheme of things, look like a huge issue. Um, but he is violating, like he is compromising his vow, like it's showing these small compromises that lead to uh, an even even greater one. And so I and so I just talk about are there are there thing there are patterns in your life that you're setting up right now that, that you can explain away and that you act like they're not that big a deal. Um, and that look seemingly innocent, but you really should hear the jaws music in the background that like, you know, you're, you're in real danger here. Um, and it's, and it's progressing to somewhere where it's going to cause some real havoc. And so I just talk about, you know, Teenagers, if your parents are are warning you about some unwise situation that you're in, you blow it off. They they don't know what they're talking about. You know, maybe you should hear the Jaws music, or you, and you you know think progressing with your boyfriend or girlfriend is not a big deal, or you know you husband or wife become obsessed with fitness and making sure you know losing a bunch of weight and taking pictures of yourself and post them on Instagram, and you you like the attention you get at the gym and like all those things in and of themselves may not seem like bad things or big deal, but they, they could add up to a really, you know, big deal that causes you to lose the respect of your children and, and your wife, um, blow up your family, blow up your ministry. And, and, um, and so you should just be, be aware. Like, so Samson was, was on this slide and it ends up, you know, with him blinded and humiliated and everything. But even if you have messed up like that, God, um, is still gracious and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, run, run to the Lord for mercy. But I, but I did talk about, so I, just to cap this off, to Peyton's point about the people of Israel not crying out, um, I think you can pair that with Samson, who I, I think one of his main sins was presuming on God's grace and mercy because he, like he, I, I have to be, I mean, the text doesn't say this, so I'm just using my imagination I'm convinced that he doesn't think when his hair is cut that it's going to cause any trouble. I mean, there's there's no way that he's too stupid to realize that she's going to cut his hair off. And um, and so I think he's just presuming that that God's just always going to be with him and God's always going to operate in that way. And um, I think we can fall into that pattern too. You know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission and um, those kind of things. And I think we need to, it's a danger. We don't need to presume on God's grace. Uh, sometimes his his grace looks really harsh in the moment. Um, And it, and it was, you know, people say it wasn't until his eyes were put out that he finally starts doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord instead of doing what's right in his own eyes. And um, I think that's instructive for us. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I mean, I think I point this out in my sermon that he, yeah, he, he starts to begin to, he begins to believe that his power is his. He's not relying upon the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the. I think it's Luther. Somebody talks about the severe mercies of God uh, as kindnesses, mm-hmm. and and I love that idea. These the severe mercies that are that are kind, and it it, it does it does uh, provide a highlight and a contrast t- type anti type. I mean, Jesus is the sinless one who who bears our sins so that we can become the righteousness of God, uh, which is why I love the picture of you know Samson needs the tomb of his fathers. Uh, Jesus needs one, but for three three days only, and and so you love that. Uh, we have a deliverer who has conquered even the final uh, consequence of, of our sin. 
which I love that contrast mm-hmm. type and anti-type. Um, any final thoughts on Samson before we tie a bow? And then we'll, we will jump into the end of Judges, which has its own complications. In fact, I think some of the guys on here didn't even bother to preach uh, those last few chapters. Am I right on that? Okay, Peyton, yep. Uh, you know, maybe between now and when we record, you can do some work in the text. Um, they are profitable and, and, and useful for training, instructing, and righteousness. So just, just <laughs> boo, boo this man. Uh, just messing with you, man. Uh, any, any final thoughts on Samson's life? Uh, just preach it. It's such a great narrative story. Uh, we can identify with his flaws, all of us, uh, maybe not to the extreme measures, but I think many folks can with whether it's and the congregation can living for love and, and various things. And yet how God graciously rescues and redeems and we mm. see the savior through it all. I mean, it's uh, and how, yeah, he was actually Samson, you know, strongest spiritually when he was weakest physically. Uh, and uh, that's wonderful, wonderful narrative to preach. I, I preached it actually at a men's sort of retreat weekend, and I think it's very was well. I'm a, I'm a guy, so it was very applicable to them anyway. Uh, so mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's one of those ones that's so familiar as as a story, even to non Christians. It's it's a good good to to teach the narrative and to teach why uh, the Lord has has put it in the inspired scriptures for our for our good and for benefit. Absolutely. What I need though is because um, you know, they do all these modern like movies of of biblical characters, and every every Samson depiction is of a guy who's like looks like a bodybuilder, and so I, I need like the Tom Cruise version <laughs> of because the text doesn't tell Does us it? that he was like had all these muscles. Yeah, no, it doesn't tell us he has all these muscles, and so it might be the opposite I need, like, little, actually. Exactly, because they need, like, recognize it special. So it needs to be more built like Nate uh, rather than <laughs> rather than me. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to put up a picture of us side by side soon. Um, <laughs> well, we will uh, again. We will go from here and jump into the end of Judges, which does certainly have some complications, but it'll be good to talk through that together. Uh, it's good to be back, and we will uh, be having consistent recordings from here on out, Lord willing. Uh, and so we do appreciate you listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.